0: Well, good morning. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles this morning to 2 Samuel chapter 5 as we work our way across this book of 2 Samuel. This morning we are going to look at two things. We're going to look at a king and a city. It's not just any king, and it's not just any city. It's King David, and it's the city of Jerusalem, the seat of Of God's rule. Jerusalem is not only the most important city in the Bible, it's the most important city in the world. It's mentioned over 800 times in the Bible. And that portion of Jerusalem we'll see today in 2 Samuel 5 called Zion, mentioned 150 plus times in your Bible. We're going to see David finally ascend to the throne. And that's significant not only looking back as a reminder to us that God always does what He says. He always is faithful to His promises. But it's also significant looking forward. As we see a glimpse, the very seeds of what unfolds from this chapter going forward as the seat of God's kingdom, where David's descendant will rule forever and ever. This is an important chapter in your Bible because it is the beginning of the keys of a king and a city. I'll read the chapter. You can follow along in your Bible. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. Previously, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and in. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people, Israel. You will be a ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. And King David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron. Then they anointed David king over all Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. Now the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. And they said to David, You will not come in here, but the blind and lame will turn you away, thinking David cannot enter here. Nevertheless, David captured the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. David said on that day, Whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him reach the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul through the water tunnel. Therefore they say, the blind or the lame shall not come into the house. So David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from the Milo and inward. David became greater and greater, for the Lord of God of hosts was with him. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David with cedar trees and carpenters and stonemasons. And they built a house for David. And David realized that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Meanwhile, David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron. And more sons and daughters were born to David. Now these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shammua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishema, Eliada, and Alephalet. When the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to seek David. And when David heard of it, he went down to the stronghold. Now, the Philistines came and spread themselves out in the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. So David came to Baal-perazim and defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like the breakthrough of waters. Therefore he named the place Baal-perazim. They abandoned their idols there, so David and his men carried them away. Now the Philistines came up once again and spread themselves out in the valley of Rephaim. When David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go directly up. Circle around behind them and come at them in front of the balsam trees. It shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, and you will act promptly, for then the Lord will have gone out before you to strike the army of the Philistines. Then David did so just as the Lord had commanded him, and struck down the Philistines from Geba as far as Geser. A king and a city. Within the last month, we have been seeing Benjamin Netanyahu in the news a lot. Just this past week, he was reelected as Israel's prime minister. And on March 3rd, Netanyahu addressed Congress. Urging the United States Congress not to allow Iran to escalate their nuclear capabilities. And around the world, focus is on this little tiny country, smaller than the state of New Jersey. And people around the world question, what is so significant about Israel? Why do they, why are they so much on the forefront? of people's thinking. Well, those of us who honor God's Word know why Jerusalem is so important. And we're going to see this morning that the centrality of Jerusalem in God's program comes all the way back to here. 2 Samuel chapter 5. This is the beginning. It's an important chapter for us because as God started meeting with Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai, He once again shifts and has another mount become the center of His presence with His people on earth. It's the mount that we read about here, Mount Zion In 2 Samuel 5. And Jerusalem becomes the center of the reign of God on earth. And we're going to see that these are significant verses, not only because as we look back, we are reminded that God always does what he says. But as we look forward, we're going to see prophecy after prophecy built upon the foundation laid here in 2 Samuel 5 that shows that Jerusalem will be the center of what God is going to do still yet ahead for us all. As we come to the chapter in chapter 5, we see David becoming king over all Israel, remember Saul's son Ishbosheth was placed as king as a puppet by Saul's general Abner over the northern tribes of Israel. David was king over the southern area, over Judah, and reigned in Hebron. Well, Ishbosheth has been murdered, and Abner, Saul's general, has been murdered, and all of Israel is now coming to enthrone David as their king. So in chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, we see David becomes king over all Israel. Notice verses 1 and 2, as the northern tribes give three reasons for why now they are going to come make David their king. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David the Hebron and said, number one, behold, we are your bone and your flesh. We are all descendants of Jacob. We are all brothers here. Reason number two, previously... When Saul was our king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and in, and the Lord said to you. So the second reason is that David was the one who gave them victory. He is the one who led Israel to victory over the Philistines. And the third reason we see in the second half of the verse is that they recognized that God had set David apart as king. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will be a ruler over Israel. Isn't it interesting that the northern tribes knew that God had anointed through Samuel the prophet, David to be the next king of Israel, and yet they followed the leadership of Ishbosheth. Probably saying a little bit about the hardness of their heart. But here we come to these verses where we find in verse 3, then they anointed David king over Israel. It tells us in verse 4, he was 30 years old when he became king over Judah. And now, it's seven years later, he's 37 years old, he becomes king over all Israel. This is the third time he's anointed. The first time was in 1 Samuel 16, through Samuel the prophet, when God chose David to be Israel's next king. Fifteen plus years pass before David is anointed as king over Judah, and now another seven years pass before he is anointed king over all of Israel. Now why is this significant? It's significant for two reasons. One, looking back, it reminds David and it reminds us that God always does what he says he will do. Always. Always. God is always faithful to his promises. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we've looked at it several times, God, through the prophet Samuel, anointed David as the next king of Israel. That was sure. It's going to happen. But think about everything that happened in David's life from that time to this time. God arranged it, so David served Saul the king, and Saul turned on him and multiple times tried to take David's life, chased him through the wilderness, wanting to kill him. Don't you think there were times when David wondered, "Uh, what about that promise, God? And yet, David has a reminder here, and we have a reminder, God always does what he says he will do. He's always faithful to his promises. Even in the New Testament, we see that truth. Same truth as in the old as in the new. Uh, The the Apostle Paul, in the book of Titus, in chapter 1, verse 2, I'm just going to read a little portion of the verse, says this, In the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. Isn't that a neat little verse? God, who cannot lie, God always does, What he says he will do. He's always faithful to his promises. Always. Why is it significant for us in 2 Samuel chapter 5 that David is anointed as king? It's significant, first of all, looking back. But it's also significant looking forward. Because in just a few weeks, we're going to come to chapter 7. And we're going to see that God once again is going to make a promise to David. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, he promised him that he would be Israel's king. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God is going to tell David that a descendant of his will reign on his throne forever and ever. And as we trace that promise through, we ultimately see that son of David who will sit on David's throne forever and ever is Jesus Christ himself. That's significant for us We are reminded, looking back, that God always does what he says he will do. We're reminded if that's true, and we see it time after time after time, we can have confidence, even though sometimes we wonder, is Jesus coming back? Yes, he is. Because we have a God who does not lie, who always does what he says he will do. And in a few moments, we're going to look at some of those prophecies that talk about what's coming up. As David's son will sit enthroned forever and ever. What's the biggest reason you in your life and I in my life get anxious? Worry. Frat. Ultimately, it comes down to this. We are not confident in God's promises. We, we stop really believing that he is a good God to us. This was a frustrating week here at Faith Bible Church in the office because our internet went down. We came to the office Wednesday morning, no internet. Now, that has a lot more than just lack of access to Facebook. Facebook. All of my Bible study software is internet-based, and so it, it really cripples me when I want to do study, because so much of what I do is in the cloud, and then I'll go and look at this, this what this author says, and that's on his website, and I go over here and research this, and it's so frustrating not to have Internet access. And then we found out that it wasn't just local, that CenturyLink decided to do a software update. Don't you hate software updates? Well, they decided to do a software update, and they knocked out Internet for their customers all over eastern Iowa. So I go home, frustrating day, 3 a.m., I'm wide awake. Guess what I'm thinking about? Is the internet going to be up? Am I going to be able to get my work done today? Am I going to have to take my laptop and go to Starbucks or use my phone and use it as a as a hub and hook it into my laptop so I can somehow get my work done today? And I'm just all wired. Why was I wired? Because I didn't have confidence in our provider. Why do you and I sometimes lay awake at night on a whole lot bigger issues than internet access? Because we don't have confidence in our provider, Him. And yet, time after time, we see it over and over and over again in the Scripture, God always does what He says He will do. God always honors His promises. One of the reasons why this is so significant here is it's a reminder to us, yes, he does always do what he says he will do, even though it's in his timing. And sometimes that doesn't connect with our timing. He always does what he says he will do. If God says that he's performing his work in you so that you'll become more and more like Jesus Christ, he means it. If God says that he works everything that touches your life according to his will so that it brings about his purposes in your life, he means it. Even though sometimes we don't understand it, God always does what he says he will do. A king is anointed In verses 6 through 10, we see a city, Jerusalem. Remember, David has been reigning in the southern tribe in Judah, and Hebron has been the capital. Well, now all of Israel has come underneath his reign. It wouldn't really make sense to have the capital still be in Hebron. It would be like being eastern Iowa and western Iowa, and the capital of eastern Iowa was Iowa City, and then the west decided they wanted to get in on the good thing and all became a unified Iowa, probably wouldn't make sense to leave the capital in Iowa City. It got moved to Des Moines. Well, here, what David did was very politically smart. He moved the capital to just over the line into the northern tribes, into the actually the territory of Benjamin, but it was almost like Switzerland, because they did not possess it yet. It was under the area assigned to Benjamin, but it still had not been conquered. So David is going to move the capital to this neutral site, to Jerusalem, unifying all of Israel, and yet first he has to take it. So it tells us in verse 6 that... The king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. And David is going to make Jerusalem Israel's capital city. These Jebusites are scorning David. You couldn't come capture us? No way. We are impenetrable. Our The blind and the lame of our city could keep you out. Well, as the verses unfold, the impenetrable becomes penetrable. Most likely, Hebrew scholars are not totally sure of the meaning of the word translated water tunnel in verse 8, but most likely there was some kind of an aqueduct, some means of water getting into the city that the Israelites used to access this impenetrable city. By the way, just a quick note, when verse 9 says, David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him reach the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul through the water tunnel. This is not David saying that he has a hatred for those that have a physical malady. Uh, This is David saying that he hates the Jebusites. When the Jebusites said, hey, even our blind and our lame could keep you out, David assigned all the Jebusites as the blind and the lame. He's saying, I'm not going to allow the Jebusites to still live in that city. And he didn't. They take the city. Notice... Even though the city we know as Jerusalem, referred to over 800 times in our Bible, notice down in verse 7, Nevertheless, David captured the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. In fact, David names it the city of David. Over 150 times we see reference in our Bibles to Zion. Language scholars are not sure what that original word Zion meant but it's this portion of the city of Jerusalem the mount of which eventually the temple uh, will be built there and we find sometimes in our bible a reference to Zion being the temple sometimes a reference to Zion being all of Jerusalem and as we Christians sing the song, we're marching to Zion. As a kid, you like, what in the world is this song about? I'm not going to any place named Zion. It's talking about the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city that John 14 talks about, that place where we will dwell forever and ever. It's talking about our journey to heaven. So this concept of Zion, this place where David and his error Will his heir will rule forever and ever, becomes the center of God's reign on earth. Let's take a look at the significance of this reference to Jerusalem. I'm just going to take us on a quick look at some prophecy talking about the centrality of Jerusalem in God's program. Turn with me if you have a, if you want to, or you can just listen to the book of Isaiah, the 24th chapter of Isaiah. We see God establishing His rule, His future rule, in Jerusalem. In Isaiah chapter 24 verse 23, it says, Then the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. That hasn't happened yet. The book of Zechariah, chapter 8, verses 22 and 23, right before Malachi, the last book of your Bible, the book of Zechariah, chapter 8, verses 22 and 23, we see the nations will gather at this place, Jerusalem. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Same chapter, chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, we see this will be the place of Messiah's reign You'll recognize these verses. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war will be cut off, and he will speak peace to the nations. His dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You see, those verses were saying... Are saying that Messiah will reign from Jerusalem. What's significant about a week from today on Palm Sunday? It's the day that we commemorate Jesus coming into Jerusalem, mounted on a donkey full, offering Himself as Israel's Messiah. At that time they reject Him one day. This verse will come into complete fulfillment and Jesus will reign as king over God's kingdom, as David's son, forever and ever. Jerusalem. It's not just any city. Pastor Brian read a little while ago that reference in the book of Hebrews to the new Jerusalem, this heavenly city where those of us who have put our trust in Christ are already members. We are citizens not of this place. Our citizenship is in heaven. We turn to Revelation chapter 21 and 22, and we read about this new Jerusalem. Remember, in our scheme of things here at Faith Bible Church, the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ will return and set up a reign for a thousand years here on earth. We call it the millennial kingdom. At the end of that thousand-year reign, we know from the books of Peter and we know from here in Revelation that the earth and heavens will be destroyed and recreated, a new heaven and a new earth, and this heavenly Jerusalem will come down to earth and rest here. It's that place that John 14 talks about when Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. In my Father's house or many mansions. This is it. And we read in Revelation chapter 21, that I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth pass away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. You see, this isn't just a king. This just isn't a city. This is God's place of his eternal reign. If we have confidence that God always does what he says he will do, and that's shown to us time after time after time in the past, how much more confidence should we have that Jesus Christ is coming back, that every day that we live here on this earth should be counted as having eternal value as we wait for his return? David saw clearly that God had a purpose for him. David was so convinced that God was truly Israel's king, he was just appointed by God to represent him and to serve the people, that as we come to the end of this chapter, verses 11 through 25, we see example after example after example of the fact that God was with David. Notice verse 10. It says, David became greater and greater, For the Lord God of hosts was with him. Was with him. Look at verse 12. David realized that the Lord had established him as king over all Israel. See, David saw the hand of God. David recognized that God was with him every day. He saw it in this King Hiram. This powerful king of the city-state neighboring Israel sends mason workers and carpenters and cedar and erect David this beautiful home. It's the same guy that helps David's son Solomon build the temple in 1 Kings chapter 5 verse 7. We see David blessed with children and in verses 17 through 25 on two occasions we see God fight Israel's battle. Philistines are defeated twice. Notice in these verses, in verses 17 through 25, that throughout this time, David always expresses his dependence on the Lord. In verse 19, it says, Then David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Down in verse 23, When David inquired of the Lord, David always demonstrates his dependence on the Lord through prayer. Why? Because he recognizes that God is with him. That God... Being with him is his confidence. In 2013, uh, Disney Films came out with a film entitled Saving Mr. Banks. I really enjoyed it. I've seen it twice. It's not fun. It's the story of a woman named P.L. Travers who wrote the books upon which Disney eventually made the film Mary Poppins. you think it would be a fun movie, but it's not, because it's really a movie about the life of P.L. Travers. She is kind of a crotchety, growly, as my wife has been working me with the word curmudgeon, she's kind of curmudgeonly She's just kind of not fun. And Disney, in this movie, portraying what actually happened, wanted to make this film, and, and she just resisted, resisted, resisted. So Walt Disney decides, I know what she needs. She needs to go to Disneyland. And so he arranges for her. He... The the driver takes her to Disneyland. Tom Hanks, playing Walt Disney, is welcoming her to Disneyland, and she's just grumpy coming in there. One of my favorite lines in the movie is this. Tom Hanks' character, playing Walt Disney, says, Pamela, roughly, how many people get the opportunity to go to Disneyland with Walt Disney himself? Isn't that a great line? Think about it. Well, that would have been really cool. To actually go, I mean, you wouldn't have to stand in a single line if you're with Walt Disney. They would make, you'd probably get the ride all to yourself if you're with Walt Disney. I mean, He created the place. It's His. If He's walking with you, you've got everything that you could possibly need. And one of the things that David recognized here is His Creator was walking with Him. He was with him all the time. He always does what he says he will do. And David can have confidence not only looking back, looking forward, because God's proved himself. And God gave David little glimpses of the fact, I'm with you, I'm here with you, you keep expressing your dependence on me, I know things are scary, I know these Philistines seem like they could really come and get you, but just keep doing what you're doing. Keep seeking me. Because I'm with you. You know what? One of the best prayers that we can pray for each other, you can pray it for your spouse, you can pray it for your parents, your parents can pray it for you, you can pray it for your brother or sister in Christ, you can pray it for your pastor, I would love that. Philippians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. I pray this prayer all the time. I'm going to read it. Philippians 3, starting the reading verse 14. It's the prayer of the Apostle Paul. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. God, please strengthen him in the inner person. Please help he or she to know the depths of God's love for him or her. You see, it's so important for us to be reminded of what David was reminded of here. God's with me. In fact, as a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, one who's put his faith in Christ, God's not only with me, he's in me by his Holy Spirit, my seal, my guarantee of my future. And his love for me is boundless. He loves you more than you can imagine. He loves your children more than you do. And just as we see here in Second Samuel 5, he proves himself time after time after time as a God who always does what he says he will do. And if that's true, then as we look forward, we see little seeds here of verses that are actually important for you and for me, because one day this will be our home, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. And we will be with him forever and ever. And as Revelation 21 and 22 says, it's going to be a place that's so beautiful, we can't even imagine. You may be here this morning and you're not sure if you're right with God or not. I would encourage you, don't leave today without knowing. We have a prayer room right behind us here. And one of our elders will be back there. And you don't have to stay there long. You you could just go and say, Hey, do you have some material you could give me that I could search in my own Bible about how to know if I'm right with God or not? And we've got stuff back there we can give to you. And you can go home and look it up. You can read in your own Bible. Or maybe you're here today and you're struggling because you're feeling a little bit like David in the wilderness. Say, man, is God really loving me? Is Is He really doing His best in my life? And if, that's, if you're here with a burden today, I'd encourage you just go back and pray in the prayer room for a while when we're done. Father, I thank you for 2 Samuel 5 and the encouragement that it brings us about a king and a city. Of your plan, that you always do what you say you're going to do. And that your descendant will sit on your throne, centered in Jerusalem forever and ever. And we know that descendant is jesus we pray this in jesus name amen